0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, team previews rolling on. We're going to upstate New York tonight. Tell me who we're talking to.
1: Emily Liker is back with us. She was with us last year, Nate Minks replacement at Syracuse.com because <laughs> Nate got a big boy job, got hired as an editor. Emily joined me last year, Joey, when uh, you and Maggie were, you know, having your second child. So, you know, there are some more serious things to do than this podcast. Okay, Emily Ma- how's it Maggie go- specifically,
0: but yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Emily, how's it going? Welcome back.
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Absolutely. Emily Liker from Syracuse.com. Appreciate you joining us. Um, clearly, they needed an upgrade from from Nate, and and you were the place they went. So, we are blessed to have you on with us. I wanted to talk about Syracuse going into 2023. The place that we always start here is a coach and tenure check-in, and I feel like we we asked Nate for multiple years before you know before we started bringing you on about you know is Dino Babers on you know iffy footing? Are they? Is he not? It seems like he was okay, but you know the more that this goes on and the more seasons that kind of pile up, we'll say, with, um, you know, subpar or, you know, kind of like middling or subpar records, your take, you know, the fan base's take, is there any impatience with Dino Babers now? Or is it still kind of a thing of they're just going to kind of keep letting him do his thing and results be what they are?
2: You know, I I think from a media standpoint, both local and and more national, there is still a little bit of that hot seat question for sure. I mean, um, we pretty much know for a fact he he wasn't extended last year. Um, Obviously, Syracuse being a private school, like they are usually pretty guarded about that. But when a coach gets an extension, you know about it and there was no... Word about that. So the last extension he got was in 2018, which was their 10 and 3 season, the best season that Dino's had here. And that was now five years ago. So there's definitely still that. You know, when we talked to athletic director John Wildhack earlier this summer, he was like, oh no, like Dino has multiple years left on his contract. But like, how much of that is conjecture? We don't really know. I think from a fan base perspective, Things have eased off a little bit. Like, I think people were pleased with what happened last year. I mean, you started out 6-0. and That was better than I think anyone was expecting them to do early in the year last year. Obviously, things took a tumble in the back half of the season, but they made a bowl game, and that's what fans had been looking forward to, and that's what had kind of been put out there as, as the marker of success for a season after so many seasons of, of not being bowl eligible. So I think some of the fan betrayal has like eased off a little bit in terms of we need a new coach. I, I certainly still see some people with that, but I, I think a lot of people were placated or at least calmed by a, a relatively good season last year. And you know what? I think – off the football field from a personality standpoint, fans really like Dino and the way he approaches the program and and the culture of the program. They don't have a ton of issues up here that you see at at some other schools and that we've seen in the past year, especially. So I I think from that regard, people are are very pleased with Dino. Um, But I, I do think there is still some pressure on him this season to deliver something bigger and better than just a seven and six season.
1: I mean, he's got to replace two coordinators. So Tony White leaves Rocky Long in. That's a big-time hire. Rocky Long is like the grandfather of the three three five defense. They still run that at Syracuse, of course, from when Tony White was there. That's a big deal to make that hire. Robert Anai leaves after a year, and the Jason Beck is still in the mix. And he was a significant part of the offensive coaching staff last year, but now he kind of gets to promote the promotion as like the, the – regular offensive coordinator, right? Um, How much pressure do you think would be on Dino if either one of the sides of the football slides off significantly this year, just given the fact that he had to replace two coordinators in one offseason, which really is a big deal?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it is a big deal, but also he's had a lot of coaching staff turnover every single year that he's been here. Like, this is not the first time he's had to replace one or both coordinators in a year like he's pretty much had a new offensive coordinator almost every single year or every other year of his his eight-year tenure now so like I don't think there should be there should be leeway for that like he's an experienced head coach like he knows how to hire assistants and he should have a good read of of what those assistants are and and those coordinators um I think with the coordinators he has, has I don't think that's a concern. Like like you said, Rocky's I mean a veteran. Dino has consistently called him like a second head coach on the field. Obviously, he has head coaching experience. And you know, Jason Beck, this is his first Power Five coordinator gig, but he's kind of been running an offense alongside Robert and I for years, and he, he knows what he's doing. I think, and all the players seem to agree that he knows what he's doing and are very excited for his offense. So I don't think that that either of them are going to be a problem um, or would have, I guess, like any of any of the blame shifted on them if things were not going super well this season.
0: You mentioned the, the frequent turnover in coordinators, but the interesting thing to that to me is that I don't, I don't recall that Dino has been firing a bunch of these guys. It's, it's a lot of them leaving for go, you know, trying to go elsewhere um, is that to to you? Would you say that is that probably just a money thing, or is that is there something else going on there that doesn't meet the eye?
2: I I do think it's a money thing. Again, with Syracuse being a private school, we don't really get these guys' contracts, so it's hard yeah. to tell. Like when Tony White goes to Nebraska, and we know he makes over a million there now. Like he certainly wasn't making a million at Syracuse, but we don't know what what the differential in, in pay grade was there. I think that's part of it. I think exposure is another part. I mean, yes, Syracuse is a Power 5 school, but Syracuse versus Nebraska, or I mean, even some of the other schools in the ACC, like Clemson or Florida State, like those are just different stages. And I think, especially for these younger guys that we see Dino you know, tend to look to uh, for assistance and coordinators like Tony White, I think it's just such a good example it's like if you're looking to go on and be a head coach in your career you have to get to a place where you are seeing people who also have head coaching experience and, and just getting around more and exposing yourself to different parts of football and so I, I think that goes hand in hand it's, it's a money and an ex- exposure thing and I think think too like we see it with players sometimes as well especially in the transfer portal era now like Syracuse is kind of a developmental school, or at least that's how some people view it. It's like you go here for a couple years, you get the talent, and then maybe you go somewhere else looking for better opportunities. So,
0: It feels like half the ACC these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: no doubt. So this is one of my favorite stats in the off season. I think this is a good transition, and Joey's heard me mention this a couple times. But Garrett Schrader threw the ball 51 times in the bowl game. And that was the first time that Robert and I, had, you know, Robert and I left and Jason Beck was the coordinator in the bowl game. Schrader throws the ball 51 times. That's 15 more times than his career high before that. Is that something we should expect now moving forward, especially with Sean Tucker gone and obviously a new offensive coordinator and Beck? Like, is this going to be more of a pass heavy offense with Schrader or do you think he'll still cater to his strengths as, as both a runner and a thrower? Because he has proven to be an effective runner throughout the last couple of years he's been starting for the orange.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting with, with Schrader and Beck and, and looking at each of their profiles and then just looking at Syracuse's offensive profile in, in recent years. And obviously John Tucker really swayed things in, in 2021, especially not as much last year, but, um, this year. They're without Sean, and, and they have some strong running backs, but I do think Garrett and then Aronde Gadsden, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit, are kind of the stars of the offense this year. And Garrett had a better season last season, but then we come to find out in the spring that he's been dealing with this chronic elbow issue in his throwing arm that he had off-season procedure to fix, and now says he's back Better than he has been in at least the past two years at Syracuse, maybe his entire collegiate career. So I certainly think we're gonna see more out of him through the air just from the fact that he feels better now. Like that said though, Beck's quarterbacks are are very much these not necessarily all dual threat, but they they are they're multifaceted, and Beck does a very good job from the different who've played under him and coached with him that I've talked to, he does a very good job making sure he's catering specifically to each of his quarterback's strengths, and I do think Garrett is also a very strong runner, so I think we'll see both out of him, but I think overall the offense will certainly lean a little more pass-heavy, um, especially once you get into like the thick of ACC play when they're potentially going against some stronger defensive lines that maybe their offensive line doesn't quite match up with.
0: Do you sense any, call it sensitivity, to making sure that Schrader stays healthy all year, especially given the departure of Sean Tucker and how at least last year, and I'm trying to remember, it might, might have even been the year before, this, this offense was very Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker centric. And with no Sean Tucker, is it is it even more paramount that we have Garrett Schrader healthy and playing on the field all year long?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Their, their backup quarterback, Backup quarterback situation is like, fine. Um, Carlos Del Rio Wilson is, is the guy he transferred in from Florida last season. Um, played a couple games when Garrett was battling a lower body ankle injury, we believe, um, in the late half of the season. And he's he's fine, but he's certainly not a QB. He's not like developed enough in his career that he inspires confidence to have to lead this offense for like a significantly long period of time if Garrett was to be hurt. And I think just with Syracuse's experience of Garrett's health in the past couple of years with this chronic issue he was dealing with and the ankle issues he dealt with last year and and just some little things that have popped up, I think there is is certainly that caution around it. Um, we were told last week that he's on a pitch count for fall camp. We haven't entirely seen that to be true. I mean, obviously we only see like 45 minutes of camp every day, but... Um, he's, he's still been throwing, I think as much as he would any other time, but we were told he's on a pitch camp, so he might not be throwing once we leave practice or whatever. Um, and so I think that certainly speaks to there being some, some caution around him and keeping him home.
1: Aranda Gadsden is one of the best tight ends in the country outside of Gadsden, who, I mean, talk about Gadsden first, obviously off the top, but then outside of Gadsden, like who are the other pass catchers in this offense? And then maybe even more importantly, who should we keep an eye on replacing Sean Tucker? Because um, like you mentioned, last year it was kind of up and down. Offensive lines struggled a ton. Tucker was a little banged up. Like There were obviously a couple of different elements at work there. But now Tucker's gone, and that is still a, a very significant piece you have to replace.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think with the Ronde, the thing is, this year everyone knows about him. And this is the same thing we saw with Sean Tucker last year, and I think why Sean wasn't able to put up as as good of numbers as we saw in 2021 is because he wasn't a surprise anymore. And even by game six last season, Arande wasn't a surprise anymore. Like, you go back and you watch the end of that that loss to Clemson that was their first loss of the season, and Arande's getting double and triple teamed across the field because they know if Schrader needs a target, he's going to go to Arande. So... I mean, he's certainly still going to have a good season and I think he's going to be able to really pad his stats in some of these first four games that they have against non-conference opponents and stuff like that. But I'm very curious to see like in the back half of the season when it gets more into like game against Clemson and the game against Florida State or you got Wake down the line in Pittsburgh. How how those defenses approach Gadsden and how this offense, which a lot of the players so far has have characterized as very creative under Beck, is able to still get Gadsden the ball when he is kind of a known target. As for other receivers, you know, it's interesting. Something that that Dino had kind of harped on last year is that the team didn't have a number two receiver really. Like there was Gadsden and then occasionally other people would get the ball. I think since then, we've really seen Damian Alford emerge as a target, um, but still he had like significantly fewer yards than Gadsden last year, so it's, it's just kind of hard to gauge. I think he's definitely a name to watch. Uh, Demarcus Adams is also another guy that I think could step into that role. Um, but it, we're really kind of waiting to see with the receivers because there just wasn't – any other show-stopping performance out of them last season that I think you can point to and be like, oh yeah, that guy's gonna be the guy in 2023. In um, running backs, I think was the next part of the question. And yeah, so they they went deep in the running back room this, this past recruiting cycle and added quite a few guys. They have like six or seven guys in their running back room now, which just feels like a lot compared to where they were at last year. The main guy is expected to be LaQuinn Allen. Now, the caveat with him is that he had some trouble with the school in the spring and was suspended for a bit and then fought the suspension and was able to get it overturned. And so he's missed. That's, like, the very short version of a very long yeah. stream. <laughs> but, um He's expected to be back at practice next week, but he's missed these first two weeks now. Um, and, like, he's expected to be be good based on what we saw last year but what we saw was like a hundred and something carries like not a lot of carries when you have Sean Tucker carrying the ball and Garrett Trader carrying the ball so like what he what he showed last year is like certainly enough to be promising but like th- there's still like a whole lot of questions I think there with whether he he can be this strong starting back in the same way Sean Tucker was um Behind him, you have a veteran guy in Juwan Price who transferred in from New Mexico State uh, in January of last year. So this is his second year with the team. He's been in the room these two weeks, first weeks of camp, kind of leading the group. And uh, Babers has been pretty impressed with him. But I'm waiting to see what happens when Allen is back next week and just how he's able to get back in the groove and, and what things are looking like with him in Crater. But that's kind of where the running back room stands.
0: Emily, can you clarify one thing for me real quick? I know Mike mentioned that Aronde Gadston is is a tight end, but my I, I see him listed that way, but I almost yeah. I, I can't think of times that I've seen him lined up that way. Like he's used as a wide receiver. Am I not? Am I mistaken on that?
2: No, you're not. Um, okay. He. If you look at his pro football focus stats, like he every single like he's always a slot receiver. Like lined up, they just like to. Throw him in the death chart as a tight end. It stems from, I mean, Anai's offense last year and then his offense that he ran at Virginia with, I believe it was Tanya Thompson or something like that. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Thompson. Quarterback
2: transfer. Yeah. Uh, Thompson's role is modeled off of him, like, so much so that when Gatson was told he was moving to tight end, like, he watched Thompson's film to, like, prepare for it so yeah (laughs) he's a tight end he's gonna be on the depth chart as a tight end he's on the roster as a tight end um but he he certainly is used more in a receiving role i know he he wants to work on his blocking he would love to be included as a blocker he said he he wants to get better at that but they certainly have him in there just kind of as like a a sneaky way of Labeling
1: him, I think. He wants to get get better at that so he can get paid at the next level. That's what I would would say about that, Joey.
0: The Keaton Thompson mention is interesting, actually, because I'm trying to remember if he was on the roster as a quarterback at at Mississippi State at the same time that Garrett Schrader might have been. That's Uh kind of a fun little crossover.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I was about to say. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you wonder.
0: These are the things that my brain can remember. Uh, There's important things that it cannot. So... (laughs) Anyways, that's a little insight into how my, my brain works. Uh, Emily, th- strengths of the team l- looking to this fall, and one of them, I, th- I thought the offensive line actually kind of you know did do pretty well last year, blocking especially in the run game, did a good job. I know that there were a couple folks uh, that departed. One of them in particular was the guard drafted in the early second round by my Falcons. I should know this name,
2: Matthew uh, Bergeron.
0: Matthew Bergeron, yep, he's gone. I think there was a tackle gone as well. So I don't know if. I don't know how we're feeling about the replacements there defensively. I think played very well as a unit. Is there anything that sticks out to you as you know the, the one real calling card for this team going into the fall?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I I think with Syracuse, like the big the big narrative the past few years has certainly been its defense, um, and I think. This year, like within the defense, there, there are still a lot of strengths, but I think by far the strongest group is the linebackers. They, they faced some injuries last year and in the spring, but by and large, minus Michael Jones, like all of them are back. Um, you have one of the ACC's top returning tacklers in Marlowe Wax moving to middle linebacker. You have um, a couple other younger guys who got a lot of experience last year that i think was really valuable to them coming back in derek mcdonald and anwar sparrow and then also leon lowry so like that group to me like kind of when i'm thinking of like entire position groups like the linebackers are kind of the ones that come to mind for me um certainly on the defense but i think just also on the team overall because Yeah, like Garrett Strong and like Arande Strong. But like when I'm thinking of like an entire unit, like the linebackers have the depth and the experience that I think if something does happen with any of them, knock on wood, it won't for their sake. Like they will be the most okay of any of the positions.
1: How about the secondary? Because I know there were a lot of guys departing, but I do feel like there's probably still some talent left there.
2: Yeah, so the secondary, it's kind of split. There are, like, three starting safeties return, um, namely Justin Barron, who's kind of been an anchor for them in the secondary these past couple years. He's a captain now. Um, So it's him and Jason Simmons and then Elijah Clark in the secondary, and they were all starters last year. Cornerbacks, though, that's, like, the biggest question mark on this team right now. You have Isaiah Johnson, who is a guy that's been around for several years but has, like, never really started um, until there were injuries last year, uh, namely to Garrett Williams, which was a huge loss for Syracuse last year. And so, like, he's coming in and, like, should be fine because he's an older guy and, and, by all means, like, he has the attributes you would look for in, like, a cornerback, but then... Then behind him, like we really don't know. And like in the first like week or so of practice, like there's been a lot of shuffling through guys. You have some younger guys for them: Jeremiah Wilson, Gregory Delane, who who were in and out last year, um, just helping kind of fill holes. You have um, two transfers in Jaden Bellamy, who came from. Jaden Bellamy's from Notre Dame, and then you have Jaden Gould, who's from Nebraska. Uh they both came in and like they they could be in one of those positions, but that's kind of the one group that I'm still like really having to watch in camp and kind of gauge out what they're expecting to do there because obviously losing Garrett Williams to the NFL was a big loss, and then they also lost Deuce Chestnut in the transfer portal, which was arguably their biggest transfer portal loss of the off season. So yeah, the cornerback room is is a little dicey right now, I'd say. <laughs>
0: Let's take a quick second to remind you about section 103.com as the internet's premier place for all things. Wonderful, wonderful Georgia tech apparel. They have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They got a couple of three quarter shirts. They got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia tech fan in your life can use something from section 103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts. Uh, shirts, you know, jerseys, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. they got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it too. So just keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, They've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel.
2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Aside from corner, is there is there a group that you can think of on this team, Emily? And I, I'll preface this by saying one of the first teams I think of in the ACC that really this question applies to heavily, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it is Syracuse, where oftentimes I feel like, you know, the, the starting 22 that go out there are pretty solid you know pretty serviceable within the ACC but the moment you start dealing with injuries all of a sudden you know the backups the depth is often not quite quite there in the way that it might be for other teams is there one particular area on this team you can think of and it could be corner it could be elsewhere where you feel like the starters are really solid really serviceable but if there's an injury or two here it's going to be a bad situation
2: yeah, it, that's definitely the case. That's been the narrative around Syracuse football, at least for like the past two to four years. Uh, certainly, last year it was the case, um, and why they slid so much at the back half of the season. I, I think it, it's it's both of the lines, and that's not to say that they don't have talented guys in the second and third string groups, but I just think at the line of scrimmage is just like historically where like a lot of problems have started for Syracuse and like the offensive line in particular has had a lot of injuries over the year. And we all know like an offensive line having problems leads to a quarterback having problems, a running back having problems, and then the whole offense falling apart. And so I think if I were to pick the offense or defensive line, I would say offensive. And it, and again, that's not that they don't have strong guys coming in to replace the likes of Bergeron and stuff like that, but it's just so quickly, it's so easy to go downhill quickly with with a group like that, and and Syracuse has seen that in in several seasons. So, that would be my gut response. Is is the offensive line, and then the defensive line can be thrown in there as well.
0: One, sorry, Mike, I had one other thing I was going to ask and bring up. Um, you mentioned a couple of the transfers into the program, and one of the things we've seen with a number of ACC schools, and I'm I'm curious to get your perspective, I suspect it's similar for Syracuse, is for a number of these schools that are relatively high academic schools, it is significantly tougher for guys to transfer in there than it is to transfer out. Is that something that you've sensed that they've, they've struggled with a little bit as using the portal to their advantage?
2: Um, you know, I wouldn't say so. Um. If there's, like, any trend I've noticed in in the transfers Syracuse has picked up, like, they tend to go for, or they've gotten. I don't know if this is explicitly who they're going for or if this is just only who they can manage to attract to the school is younger guys. A lot of the transfers that we saw come in were either first- or second-year players who did not see playing time at their other schools, mm-hmm. or they are older guys who played at smaller schools and are now trying to look for somewhere where they can give themselves a chance at getting to the next level with one year of visibility. So I wouldn't, kind of thing. yes. Yeah. Like a grad transfer, um, or like even like a fourth or fifth year with COVID or whatever. Um, so yeah, I don't know that like the academics, at least like from like my position of visibility and like looking at the, who they've gotten has been a problem, but, um, but, yeah.
0: The the early early career and specifically late career guys getting in, that's very familiar as a Georgia Tech fan. That's very <laughs> similar situation.
1: Um, Emily, looking at the schedule, this is interesting because I feel like there are some decently difficult road games here, but I also feel like September could be relatively forgiving. And when I looked at the schedule last year and – You know, I I think I remember you and I talking about this, Emily. We were like, all right, the first half of the season, they better get their wins in now if they want to be like a 500 team, because the back half of the schedule is going to be really brutal. This schedule is not really set up like that, but there are some tough road games. So compared to a year ago, I think Syracuse has to be feeling a lot better about at least how the schedule stacks up in terms of when some of these games are getting played and who they're playing and maybe not drawing like... Uh, obviously, with no divisions now, you're not drawing like every difficult Atlantic team in the second half of the season, which I'm sure will help.
2: Yeah, certainly. I think this is an easier schedule for them than last year's was. Uh, like you mentioned, September should be relatively easy. I mean, you have two non conference schools that they should be handily, and then it goes to Purdue, who I mean, gave them a little bit of a test last year, but now has an entirely new coaching staff. So no one really knows how good they're going to be yet. And then you have Army, who I th- I would say is probably the most difficult of those first four opponents. Um, I would take them over Purdue as like potentially beating Syracuse, but I think there is definitely a path to 4-0 in that opening month for Syracuse. But then, then you have the, the hammer that is <laughs> Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State all back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, which – I don't think it gets much worse than that. I can't say that I've looked at every other ACC schedule extensively. I'm sure you guys know well. But, like, that's a brutal stretch for Syracuse.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Tough.
1: Pretty tough. I can't think of one that we've at least previewed so far, Joey, where I've looked at, like, a three-game stretch, and I was like, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> I was like, getting hitting those three teams in a 15-day stretch is uh, mm-hmm. might be unique not, to Syracuse. Not great. Yeah. Not
2: yeah. great. And
0: a ACC me- play at that.
2: Yes. Right, yes. To start ACC you get Clemson to start ACC play, play which I haven't seen Syracuse face Clemson at home. What I've heard is that Syracuse somehow always gives them a handful at home, so I'm excited to see that, I guess. And obviously last year's game was close until it wasn't. Um but then you go on the road to Chapel Hill and then you go on the road to Tallahassee. And I I think the big thing in that three game stretch is is just trying to mitigate injuries. Because if they can come out of that three-game stretch, even if they lose all of the games, but they don't lose a single player to injury, then they can make it through the rest of the season perfectly fine. Like, I don't see anyone in the back half that's, like, absolutely unwinnable. Like, are there challenges in there? Sure, like, Pitt could be a challenge. Like, um, who else is there at the end? Wake Forest, I think the final week of the season, like, could be a challenge if they're feeling a bit run down. But, like... If they can get out of that three-game stretch healthy, and lucky for them, they have a bye week after that, that they get to recover from this torture that they're going to endure in the month of October, then I think they will be fine. It's just, can you make it out of that three-game stretch healthy? Because if they lose one player in each of those games that's from the starting depth chart, then I start to be like, well, maybe they can't win games in the back half of the season. So, yeah.
0: I, I was thinking the same thing is that that's, that's a, a case where, you know, you, you would love to win one of those games, but most importantly, you know, you're, you're losing battles there. You try not to lose the war at that point. Like, cause like you're saying exactly is, is, is if you get beat up in that stretch, it could cost you things down the line, staying healthy. It's a different situation for those final five games where every one of them, yeah, I agree with you is, is winnable for Syracuse.
1: I'm, so I'm I'm looking at this as look if Syracuse goes four and zero in September, I don't think there's really any way they're not a bowl team. Yes. Um, I I think we can probably bank on Dino's experience, Rocky Long's experience, Garrett Schrader's experience at quarterback as long as he's healthy finding two more wins on this schedule even with you know a a tough September 30th game to start conference play and then like a tough opening couple weeks in October um I, I look at the back half of the schedule Syracuse is better than Virginia Tech that's a Thursday night in Blacksburg which is the only potential reason it could even be tricky BC I think is certainly winnable Pitt Pitt's tough to really forecast and Arduzzi I feel like always has them around seven and five so I do think that'll be a tough game even though it's like technically neutral site Um, and then Georgia Tech year one new coaching staff Wake Forest new quarterback maybe not the best time to get Wake Forest even though you do get them at home and in late November I'm looking at this like probably six and six just being conservative because I do think that even if Syracuse were to go like three and one in September I I think they could find three more um army I agree will be a tough game but even army with the the questions with kind of changing their offense and how's that going to look but they're always well coached yeah so I I agree that's probably the toughest game in September because Purdue with new coaching staff new quarterback uh, there's a ton of questions with Purdue who
0: knows um
1: yeah, who knows? They're coming off of you know playing Virginia Tech. Come on, Blacksburg. <laughs> I, g- I gotta gotta throw that in there. Uh, I
0: knew we had seen Purdue on at least one other ACC schedule so far. That's that's who it was. You're right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Had to had to toss that in there as an alum. But uh, yeah, Emily, what are you thinking in terms of a record prediction with this team, and kind of how do you see things shaking out?
2: Yeah, you know, you said six and six conservative. I I think I go seven and six conservative. I think. Anything less than 7-6, and barring absolute disaster in that midseason stretch, like, would be disappointing looking at the schedule. Like, it's just hard to imagine coming out of those first seven weeks, four and three, maybe five and two, and not being able to win another two to three games, maybe even four. Like... But just so much of it hinges on that that middle section, and it, I know it's like so so hard to like be like, oh well, I don't want to make a prediction because we gotta wait for those middle teams. But I I think seven and six is is reasonable for them, and I I think that should be the bar. I don't think it should just be a point five hundred season. Like anyone that says they're gonna be satisfied for Syracuse with a six and six record, like you gotta set your standards higher. <laughs>
0: in year eight, I think we said it is, under Dino, or whatever? Yes, you know, yeah. year
2: eight. There's just, it's, it's year eight. You got to do better than six and six in year eight. And especially I think that's fair. Yeah.
1: I think that's fair. I mean, even the Carolina, I mean, I, I know Carolina's got Drake May, but, like, Carolina is known for throwing up a clunker or two under Mac Brown. Like, Syracuse could mm-hmm. absolutely go into Chapel Hill and get him. <laughs> like, I know that's a tough stretch, but.
2: Yeah, that's why like my like upset sleeper pick is that I'm like I I could see it happening for them in Chapel Hill and mm-hmm. and if it does, great. If it yeah. doesn't, I don't think it's the end of the world for making it to a bowl eligible season either. So
1: No. I agree.
0: Mike, you got a Joey? prediction you want me to you want me to go through. Uh
1: I'm I'm just going to be conservative and say 6 and 6. I maybe that's low, but I I think Syracuse absolutely makes a bowl game. I mean, I just the the only reason I say six and six, I'm not going higher, is because I do have concerns about health of Schrader. But I mean, that's always a concern. He usually is healthy for most of the year, so I, I don't know. Bold six and,
0: six and six was kind of what I had in mind, and and my strategy ha- is always start with the out of conference, and I think that, I think they should go at least three and one there. I yeah. mean you could drop at Purdue. You could. You really shouldn't drop Army, I don't think, based on what we know right now. At home, you know, new offense, et cetera. But, like, I, I think they should go at least 3-1 and, and out of conference, if not 4-0. and oh. um, You know, and the, the thing that I can't I can't get away from that's kind of funny is we look at that, that last set of five games and we're like, th- there's a reason I could pick Syracuse to win every single one of these games. Like, you know, every one of them is winnable. Every one of the previews that we do for those teams, we're going to look at Syracuse on the schedule and say, "Oh, that's a winnable game." Like that—that's just the ACC at its finest, right? Like any of these teams could win any game, you know. And so, like, I—I I, I keep pointing at the Georgia Tech schedule, right? And I, I look at, "Oh, getting Syracuse in week 11—that's a great time to get Syracuse," you know. Whatever. Yeah. Like, so who the hell knows? <laughs> like, who knows what these teams are going to be doing at that point of the year? Um, I do like—I—I I think that you're smart too, Mike, to point out that North Carolina. Sure, they're picked like, what, third in the conference? Like, let's. We need to be careful about acting like they're some unbeatable juggernaut because, like you said, I mean, they have thrown up clunkers for sure in the past, and that is not a game I would write off Syracuse on. I'm going to go six and six, I think, as well. Um, and then, Emily, I guess you said seven and six. So I'm assuming that means either seven and five or six and six win your bowl game. Um, yes. Yeah yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Um, I'll say six and six. I think five to seven wins. Nothing would really surprise me. Um, it really kind of maybe depends on the way things break, and especially with health and that kind of thing. Um, the one of the schedule quirk I did want to call out that I noticed and I think is kind of funny and just just a thing is um, Syracuse does not play a home game in the month of October. <laughs> yeah, for what that's worth. So yeah,
2: I'm really looking forward to not being at home at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, on the road. Yeah. October 7th at North Carolina, then at Florida State, then bye week then on the road at Virginia Tech on a Thursday night. And then the next home game, basically, they play Clemson September 30th at home, and then Boston College November 3rd at home. And it's three road games in between. That's kind of fun. Yeah. And
2: yeah, they yeah. were supposed to have Pitt, as this has upset Syracuse fans to no end, is that they were supposed to have Pitt at home in the Dome and... The school was like, no, let's go to Yankee oh. Stadium for the hundred year anniversary. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool. But I think I, I know fans, many fans were not very stoked about that decision. So that's
0: gonna be what, like a four or five hour drive at least? Like
2: Yeah, it is. And I think the the benefit for Syracuse is they were just there in the pinstripe bowl. Like they know what it's like to play in Yankee Stadium. I think I think that's a pro and a con. I think it's good for the playing experience of knowing what it's like to play in a baseball stadium with bad turf that's going to eat up some ankles, surely, in that game. Um, But I think also, like, the allure of what this game is supposed to be and, like, this big celebration is just kind of muted for Syracuse all around because they were just there. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting. But Syracuse fans were not excited about that. That's
1: fair. (laughs) It's not exactly a home field advantage. I mean, I, I get there'll be a lot of Syracuse fans, but it's a baseball stadium, so it mm-hmm. doesn't have the same feel as the dome, obviously.
0: <laughs> and just looking yes. at it on the map, it's it's not much closer to Syracuse than it is to Pittsburgh. Like it's, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Pitt'll travel that game too. That'll be inter- that will be very interesting. Mm-hmm. That'll be very interesting.
0: Where are the Steelers that weekend? I mean, <laughs> oh, true. <that's> yeah. <laughs> <Our name laughs> in the Northeast, right? <laughs> yeah, makes you wonder. <laughs> Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, six and six for me, six and six for Mike, uh, seven and six for Emily. Uh, Mike, anything else for Emily while we got her?
1: No, I just the one. The one thing I, I want to add is like Syracuse is one of, and Joey and I have actually previewed a bunch of these teams here recently in the last week or so, where I feel like there are five, six, seven ACC teams this year who we all feel could be like anywhere between five and seven wins, and I think Syracuse is probably right there. So mm-hmm. looking at the back half of the schedule. A few of those teams are there, right? Like Virginia Tech's there, Pittsburgh's there, Georgia Tech's there, Wake Forest is there with with that with a new quarterback. Like there are a bunch of those. So, um, Syracuse doing better than seven wins wouldn't shock me either. If I mean somebody's got to come out of that group, right? And <laughs> I've been saying that on a lot of these previews. Like somebody's got to come out of this group and win less than five mm-hmm. and then win more than six or seven and be like the surprise eight or nine win team in the ACC. Maybe it is Syracuse with a veteran quarterback, veteran coaching staff, even with new coordinators like veterans. Um, maybe it's Cuse. Maybe Dino is going to back up a good year last year with, you know, seven, eight, nine wins this year. Who's to say?
2: They only get a good season every five years. I could, I could see that's, that like a Cuse curse. So. <laughs> that's fair too. That's fair too.
0: time. Yep. Um, I, I will say this. I, I do think Emily made like nailed it saying that a lot of this basically hinges on that three game stretch and coming out healthy. If you can, yes, yep. if you can do that, it's a, it's a good situation. If not, agree. it might spiral quickly. I think that's probably the big take home message. Yeah, that's here. a
1: great point. Yeah. Great point.
0: Yep. Mike, that's all I got for Emily. Anything else? No, I think we're good. Emily. Thanks again for joining us.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Yeah. You want to tell the people where they can find your stuff real quick?
2: Oh, yes, you can find it on syracuse.com. It's just that if you type it into the search bar. Um, and I'm on Twitter or whatever we're calling it now, um, at EM Liker, L E I K E R is my last name.
0: Doing a lot of zeting there or whatever? Zing, yeah. Would yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there will well, be LA's something new pol- tomorrow, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emily, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for, for joining us here. Uh, we look forward to having you back on sometime soon, hopefully talking about a good year for Syracuse. Hopefully. <laughs> yep. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. We're going to come back and keep previewing some more teams. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRSJoey. He's at Mike McDanielSI, together at BC Podcast ACC. Once again, go follow Miss Emily Liker on Syracuse.com, at Liker on Twitter. Uh, all sorts of great, great Syracuse coverage there. Uh, we are on iTunes, on Spotify, all the good places you go find your podcasts. Uh, hit the follow, subscribe, buttons, rate, review, those things. Those are great, too. Uh, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Uh, send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, Mike, where else on the social medias?
1: facebook facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review find some of our podcasts here maybe even this one and then also check us out on youtube at the acc football podcast i get that right
0: yes youtube.com slash at the acc football podcast
1: and instagram at bc podcast acc
0: do it for the gram please do mike that's all you got anything else before we get out of here no i think we're good you want to preview some more teams
1: yeah we're about halfway through which mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's, we're, we're on schedule.
0: There's a Bon Jovi song about that, I think, but it's uh, it's escaping me right now, so we'll uh, oh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see who, who gets that stuck in their head now that I mentioned that.
1: Yep, already stuck in mine. Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> well, enjoy that as you uh, try to go to sleep tonight, and uh, we'll yes. come back and preview some more teams. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Miss Emily Liker, I am Joey Weber. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until next time, go Orange and go ACC.